Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I'm so happy to share a recent Firebird Book Award winning author with you. She is Helen Starbuck, and her book is titled The Burden of Hate. Helen is a third generation Colorado native who has spent her career working as a nurse in the main ORs of several suburban hospitals and a major children's hospital in the Denver area. She translated her experience and knowledge of OR nursing into a job as a clinical editor for an OR nursing journal. As a clinical editor, she helped nurse authors fine-tune their articles and helped staff journalists understand the intricacies of surgery. The journalist, in turn, helped her understand the often puzzling aspects of the AMA style book, because as we all know, there's a rule for everything. Helen likes stories about strong women and interesting men. She writes her mysteries from the perspective of of an OR nurse and relies on her love of suspense and romance to write her standalone romantic suspense novels. Her theory is, if you don't like life as it is, you can always write a different ending. And I say great advice. And we're about to find out more. So welcome to the network, Helen. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the time you're taking. Oh my gosh, it's always my pleasure. Where in Colorado do you live? Um, I live in one of the um, western uh, suburbs that surround Denver. It's called Arvada. And it's out near the foothills, which are the intro to the mountains that take you to the ski areas. Right, right. I know Colorado a bit. My daughter lives out there. She lived, used to live in Boulder and then Littleton, and now they live out in Stapleton, where that old airport area is. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not too far from Boulder. I'm about 20 miles uh, south of Boulder, so so in that general area. area, yeah. She used to be the uh, editor-in-chief of Mountain Living Magazine for many years. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. it was a pretty magazine. Now she freelances since her daughter was born. So, uh, yeah, I haven't been out to Colorado in a while, but it's a lovely area. Well, I I like it. I haven't found anywhere else that I want to live. Well, all yeah. of your family, your generations have lived out there. So why would you? Yeah. Leave? Yeah. All righty. Well, listen, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. I was happy to share that bit of news with you. I was very excited. I mean, it was it was a thrill. I love it when other people, you know, professional uh, reviewers and award things love my books. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, what did, what did Sally Field say? Oh, you really like me. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. Oh, I love that. It's kind of got a bit of sadness to it, though, doesn't it? Why shouldn't, <laughs> why shouldn't somebody like you, Ellen? Oh, my gosh. So you say that you write from the perspective of an OR nurse. Well, my main character in my mystery series, which is what uh, the book that won The Burden of Hate is the third book in the series, um, Annie Collins is an OR nurse. Um, and the first book, The Mad Hatter's Son, uh, was generated by a young woman I helped to take care of who had very puzzling neurological symptoms, and it took the doctors quite a while to figure out what was causing them, and when they did, it was quite a shock. Now, my book is not about that patient, but it's about the clinical course, uh, the puzzling symptoms, and everybody attributing the problems to other things um, that, than what was actually causing. So that kind of informs my writing. I also um, have always 
been annoyed at um, books and and television shows where the main character gets whacked on the head and you know passes out, and then all of a sudden in the next scene he or she's running off to chase the bad guys down. And so I try to bring a little more reality uh, without it seriously crippling the, the storyline. So, um, so I guess that's how it influences it. Sure. It would be hard not to, because being an OR nurse is so intense and all of those experiences and all of those years that you've had doing that, um, that just becomes who you are. I would imagine it would be a little bit difficult to separate that. Um. Well, yeah. And uh, my main character, Annie, um, has that curiosity that I think most people in the OR have, the need to find out what's going on, what's wrong, and how to fix it. And that's kind of what propels her into this investigation of her friend's illness. And and then that triggers all sorts of consequences, which you see the end result of in The Burden of Hate, which is what won the contest. Mm -hmm. So this book is part of the Annie Collins mystery series. Tell us a little bit about the series before we actually get into the book Burden of Hate, and how did this series come about? Um, The series... As I mentioned, came about because of the ideas from this patient. I, I thought at the time, uh, wow, this would make a great story. Um, and I wrote a few chapters, and then, like I tell people, I got a new job as an editor, and I got a husband, and then a few years later, I got my daughter. And so that all went on the show. And then in 2015, when I... Uh, moved, I was going through stuff trying to weed out things so I didn't have to move this collection of stuff I'd been carrying around for years. And I found the four chapters and read them and I thought, you know, I still really like this. So that's when I decided, I'm going to see where this goes. And when I finished the first book, I liked the characters so much that I thought, well, I'm just going to keep going with the next book and see see where this ends up. And the characters, the main characters, Annie and her next door neighbor, who eventually becomes her husband, um, Angel, and uh, the detective Frost were characters that I just loved and they weren't ready to be a one-off. <laughs> so, you know how that goes. Um, I, I do think that uh, there may be an alternate universe where our characters live, mm-hmm. and they very definitely influence writers, uh, at least they do me. Oh. As you were speaking, I was thinking sadly that I had written the beginning of a, of a, of a book many years ago. Mostly what I write is nonfiction and it's, it relates with patient advocacy and a little bit more medical. So, but in the past, I had started this story with these wonderful characters and I lost it. I don't know where it is. I can't find it. I think it's gone. So when you said that you were cleaning, cleaning through old things and you came upon these four chapters, I was cheering for you that, in fact, you did and hope maybe someday I'll find mine. Well, you know, I never throw anything away. Now, now pretty much all of my writings on my laptop. But if I have a scene that I really like, but it doesn't work in the current book, I will cut it out and I put it in a new document and I put it in this file I call bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. 
And um, it's funny how those scenes will often fit perfectly in a subsequent book. And so I'm a firm believer in not throwing stuff away um, unless you, for some reason, think it's horrible. Right. <laughs> yes. I'd hate to see if you were somebody who did a lot of sewing. You'd probably have a lot of scraps in your uh, scrap bag, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what it is, but it's neat that you can pull them out and they're useful somewhere else. Yeah, every now and then. I mean, I I just am always surprised. It's kind of like, well, I guess I'm channeling stories all the time, and sometimes I try to force them into a story where it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so um, keeping them and keeping them in mind, uh, they often turn out to be great in another spot. So That's great. Well, give us a peek into the book titled The Burden of Hate. The Burden of Hate is about um, how carrying hate and the need for revenge uh, often, often works in your worst entrance, uh, you know, interest, um, and how it can lead you down a path of self-destruction. Um, it took, it took almost four years between the second book and the burden to get the story written. And I, <laughs> I have to tell people that I put Annie and Angel threw so much hell in the second book that they quit talking to me. They were, they were like, girl, we're done. I mean, we're going to go have some normal fun and you do whatever you need to do, but leave us alone. And so the burden of hate is the culmination. Well, I, I say too that um, decisions are like rocks thrown in a lake. You never know where the ripples are going to go. And that Annie makes a decision to pursue the reasons for her friend's illness and death, and that triggers many consequences, fairly negative consequences until the burden of hate where everything comes together in sort of this perfect storm. Um, so my theory is... Um, Decisions, even if you don't make a decision, that's a decision. Mm -hmm. And you oftentimes don't know whether that's going to work out well or not. And uh, for Annie, that initial decision to get involved in investigating what happened to her friend turns out to have brought a whole lot of uh, disaster, I guess, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word, on her. Um, so, so that's kind of the motivation behind the title. Um, you know, hate is, uh, a burden when you have it that you carry around. And I think it's heavy and I think it's, some people can't let go of it. And I think that's very self-destructive. And in the series, the person that's carrying it is the person who is responsible for several deaths that Annie and her husband are able to send him to prison for. So the hate is there and the need for revenge is there, uh, which he carries out 
tries to carry out in in burden. So, um, and then of course Annie and Angel are, are the victims of all that hate and all that revenge. Do you see this as the last in the series? I have one more book that is at the moment um, it's been edited and proofed and we're working on a cover. Okay. And that book four may be the end. I honestly thought that uh, this. Burden might be the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, there's there's one more book in the series and then I don't know. I, uh, but if I have to end it because I don't have any other ideas than the new book, which is called A Cold Case of Conscience, um, could easily be the end. Okay. Now, I just spoke with another author earlier, and she thought her third book was the end, and then there was the unexpected sequel to that, where actually she had <laughs> she had readers contact her. She said people were calling her and said, you can't leave the book like that. We need more. So I love <clears throat> unexpected sequels. Well, and, you know, that's one of the reasons that uh, I embarked on the fourth book. Uh, I had a lot of readers say, okay, what's going to happen now? And mm. it's like, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was nice to hear that. And now that I've let my newsletter subscribers and people on social media know that the fourth book is coming, I've had a lot of people contact me and say, oh, I'm so excited to read it. I can't wait. It's like, that is that is what every author wants to hear. So. That is so true. Well, maybe you need to have something already new in the work. So when this fourth book comes out and they start saying, where's the fifth? You could say, hang on, I've got something <laughs> new and more exciting, a new shiny, exactly. something more new and exactly. shiny. <laughs> Exactly. Well, it sounds like you're, you are really connected to your characters. And uh, so many people say that, that these characters kind of take off on their own and become the people they were meant to be, regardless of what you have in mind. Do you find that? Well, yeah, I found that particularly with uh, Detective Frost. He was in the first book, and I sort of had the idea that it, he'd be you know, a one-off character who played a role in the first book and then not necessarily in the following books. And he had other ideas. He was kind of like, nope, I'm not done. <laughs> and he's been, he's become one of the major characters in the subsequent books. And I just love him. And I've heard from a lot of people who he's a favorite character uh, not the favorite, but one of the favorites. And he is for me, too. He's, he's kind of like a father figure for Annie. Um, and she's fascinated by what he does. And so he's an interesting guy. I, I like Frost. And he's he's kind of grouchy, and he's kind of cynical, and but he's got a good heart, and he likes Annie and her husband, and so he kind of bends over backwards for for them. And uh, he's just a nice guy. <laughs> the whole character writing always fascinates me. So, what is your writing process? Do you write full time? Pretty much. Um, I don't have a writing time like a lot of people do, and I don't have a 
word count goal. If I don't feel like writing or I have other things I need to do, it doesn't bother me to skip a day or two. But then there are days that things come fast and furious and I spend the day writing. Uh, so I'm, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the idea of there being two types of writers, a writer who outlines and knows where the plot is going from A to Z. And then there, they call them plotters. And then there's, there's my group of writers who are called pantsers because we write by the seat of our pants. And that's kind of how I do it. I can outline a professional article without any problem because there is a clear start and finish. But for fiction, for me, I have a general idea of where the story's going, but it may take detours along the way. And the only disadvantage to writing like that is there often is a lot of revision. Um, when it goes in a direction that you weren't anticipating, you often have to go back and fix earlier things or pull it back in line and make it go the way you want it to go. So it's more time consuming and I tend I know people who plot their books can often put out two or three books a year and I can't do that. Um, I can often have several other stories percolating while I'm working on the main one. But to get it finished, get it to my beta reader, get it to my editor and, and the rest of the nonsense that it takes to get a book published, um, because it takes a while for me to write it, it uh, means that about once a year is, is the most I can manage with a book. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. Um, I, I know lots of folks who write by the seat of their pants, but then sometimes find the themselves that they've written themselves into a corner and then as you say it takes time you've got to back that out and think oh hey now what do I do whereas that may not necessarily happen with someone who plots things out but uh, I think it just depends on a person's personality although with your background that's interesting you would think that uh, with such a clinical writing editor background that you might have gravitated toward plotting but then maybe well, that side of your brain said, no, I need to exercise the other side. Well, you know, that's, that's true. You would think it would carry over. Um, but writing um, medical articles or even working in the OR, you have to be very organized and there's a beginning and an end and certain things have to happen for the ending to work. And so for me... I can clearly visualize when I was working with authors and OR nurses are not um, encouraged or have much experience in writing for professional journals, although that's changing with some of the new accreditation programs. But So they would have a great idea and their story would come to me because the um, peer review panel had felt that there were problems with it. And I could very easily see where the holes were. And with my fiction writing, uh, for me, there's not a clear A to Z. There's a, there's a very clear beginning. And I oftentimes have a really clear ending. 
but the getting there is is a is a meandering process. Well, you know, that's kind of like life. You know, you know where you are, and you might know where you think you eventually want to go, and then you just enjoy the journey and go wherever it takes you. Well, and and that's exactly it, and and that's also why I think good beta readers and good editors are crucial if you write like that, mm-hmm. um, because we get so close to what we write in in fiction in particular that I don't think we see the problems. Uh, if it, you know, and there generally are at least a few with anybody. I I was surprised to hear that Elizabeth George, who's a very pro- prolific uh, and well-known uh, murder mystery, least procedural author, on her last book, it went through five edits slash revisions, and I thought, well, but Elizabeth George has to do five. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> um, and, and you know, the, the beta readers are great that I have um, with the burden of hate, one who I'd known forever called me up one night and said, uh, how much does our friendship depend on what I tell you? Oh. And I said, it doesn't. That's why I send these things to you. And she goes, I hate being me. She said, I hate it so much. But oh. if you weren't a friend of mine, I'd probably never read another book in this series. Oh. I was like, oh, what did I do wrong? And so we spent about an hour talking about it. And I ran it by my editor, and she said, you need to keep her around, because I don't really like the ending either. So I reworked the whole ending, and it came out much better, and the book got a starred review from Kirkus, which they don't, they only give about 2% of indie authors starred reviews, and it won your contest. So I think she had great advice, and I can't thank her enough, because... I didn't think there was anything wrong with the ending per se. Um, and so it's so important because, like I said earlier, um, we get so close to our writing that we just don't see the flaws and you need other people to point them out to you kindly and constructively, but, but you need to hear it. Oh, my! actually, what a very good friend she is to you to be able to risk friendship by telling you the truth. And secondly, it takes a lot for you to hear or for anyone to hear some negative thoughts and that knee-jerk reaction to get defensive or she doesn't know what she's saying and I'm not changing it, but to really listen and to take that advice and to uh, turn it into a different ending. I think it's a growing experience for you, too. Well, it is. And I uh, sort of had my thin skin toughened when I was working as an editor because uh, I would first edit an article, and then there was another uh, colleague who would second edit it, and somebody who would proof it. And all along those steps of the ways. Um, I would get that kind of feedback. And so I learned to really value that. And I, I know I've talked to some authors, particularly indie authors, um, who said, oh, I don't like working with an editor because they change your voice. And what I've always said is, well, that's not a good editor. A good editor is not going to change your voice 
you know, how you come across in your writing, but a good editor will help you keep you from making mistakes. And I know sometimes it takes a while to find an editor that you really gel with. And, you know, if you, most editors will send you a chapter or two to show their editing style. And if you don't like it, then I think it's important to keep looking. And I think, I think authors, that's, that's a hard thing, uh, to get used to, uh, is having somebody say, you know, this, this just doesn't work. And hopefully the people that are telling you that will tell you why they think it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just an opinion. And if you feel really strongly about it, then you have to decide, um, whether their opinion is enough to change what you've written or maybe just adjust it a little or sometimes it's worth ignoring but I haven't found very many issues like that. Mm -hmm. That's actually great advice um, because not all editors are created equally and um, so you probably should interview them basically you know give them a couple chapters and see what they what they bring back to you to find one that makes you that somebody that you feel that you can work with or that understands you and your work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I've been fortunate in that I got an editor who mirrors my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, on one book, I had uh, written something about a guy having to bring a, a victim to his apartment temporarily and he hadn't changed his sheets from the last time he'd had a girl over and um he was I was just going to let him leave it like that and her comment was ew he should at least offer to change the sheets and it was like okay well that makes sense <laughs> you know but it made me laugh yeah. and and that I think how you know, how an editor gives you that feedback is very important it has to be it has to be good feedback and it has to be put in a constructive way. And if you're someone who enjoys humor, that humor will often soften the edges mm-hmm. of uh, critique or comment or whatever. Excellent advice. Thank you. Speaking of advice, you gave us several um, bits of author tips for our Boom Bang, Oh My Gosh, Wow podcast, which we're going to be posting as well, too. So thank you for that. You've got lots to say here as far as author tips. Yeah, I've always got stuff to say. <laughs> I love that. All righty. So as we begin to wrap up, anything we missed that you wanted to talk about today? Boy, you've been pretty thorough. I honestly can't think of anything other than to say, um, you know, don't, don't be hesitant to ask for advice. And if you're writing about something that you don't personally know or have worked in or have questions about, uh, talk to somebody who does. I can't tell you how much help a homicide detective gave me um, and an ER doc and an ER nurse. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a nurse and have worked in the OR, but I've never worked in the ER. So it was incredibly helpful for me to get their feedback on a couple sections that I had written about caring for somebody in an emergency. And, uh, you learn a lot. And most people that you ask are 
very flattered and very willing to help and answer as many questions. And I haven't had anybody go, well, that's a really dumb question. Um, So, yeah, so I would just say, you know, don't, don't hesitate to ask people. And sometimes it's as easy as posting on like Facebook and saying, does anybody know a homicide detective or, you know, whatever. Uh, And you'll often find people who say, oh, you know, my cousin or I have a friend of mine does this. And so it's easy to find people. And the first time you do it, it can be nerve-wracking because I think we're all afraid that somebody's going to go, well, that's a really dumb plot. (laughs) Um, And I have never had that happen. So you just have to kind of take a deep breath and do it. And then it gets easier every time you talk to someone. So I guess that would be my tip, my most important tip. Lots of positives there because your readers may know more about that topic than than you do. So if they are familiar with ER and the procedures and you don't write that correctly, they're going to recognize it, number one. And secondly, I was thinking as you were saying that it's a great marketing tool because all of the people you reached out to to ask questions, I'm sure once the book was published, they wanted copies of the book and said, hey, you know, my two cents was in this book. And so it, it might be another way to help market your book. Well, and I always um, am sure, you know, make a point of mentioning them in acknowledgement right. because I really appreciate their help and their time. And so I always, I, you know, as long as they're okay with that, and I think that's the other thing, if you're going to mention somebody sure. in an acknowledgement, you should talk to them and make sure they're okay with that sure. because some people really don't want to be um, put out there in the public. So... Um, it's always good to check. But most people are like, oh, that's so cool. (laughs) I agree with that. All right, Helen, if you would then send us where we need to go to find out about you and where we can get copies of your books. People can always go to my website, which is HelenStarbuck.com. You can see all my books there and there are buttons that you can push that will take you to Amazon. But if you don't want to go to my website, you can always go to Amazon and search my name, Helen Starbuck, and it will bring up the page with all my books on it. And uh, the books are available in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. So there's a version for everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much. So we're speaking with Helen Starbuck, and her book is titled The Burden of Hate, which is part of the Annie Collins Mystery Series. And her website is, her name, HelenStarbuck.com. And always remember her piece of advice where she said, if you don't like life as it is, you can always write a different ending. Helen Starbuck, you're awesome. Thank you for today. I so appreciate our conversation. You're welcome. Thank you so much.